other uh, the other stream. There we go. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the June 9th edition of the of From the Deep End. It is so very good to be with you today. Uh, of course, my name is Jonathan Jenkins, but I'll probably know that by now. So we are uh, thankful that you have chosen to tune in and to be a part of the program today. Uh, and it is Thursday morning, so we are joined today by my father, uh, Dan Jenkins. Uh, he is on the road this morning, uh, heading up to, um, you tell me, Henderson, Tennessee, starting a gospel meeting here sometime, I guess, over the weekend or something like that? Yes, it starts on Sunday. I've just got a, got a couple of days to kill going up there, so I thought we'd, uh, we, I spoke last night down at Fort Lauderdale, and just got in the car, it was fully packed, and just drove um, just a few hundred miles up into Florida, and you're still not out of Florida when you drive a <laughs> few hundred miles, and so I have no idea where I'll be tonight. You know, it just depends on the uh, on how we feel, how many stops we make, and things of that nature. We're not in any rush. We've got to be there by, uh, well, we uh, be same with some folks on starting on Saturday night. Well, hope you have a, a good travel up there, good trip up there, and all that. Um, um, today, uh, just a programming note, um, I actually can only do one hour of the program today. Uh, I have a doctor's appointment uh, later on today, and I need to uh, uh, take care of some things before I head over there. So I'm a little bit pressed on time, but that should not be a problem, uh, for at least for the first hour. So uh, we will resume our study of First Peter uh, on Monday. So uh, today is actually Thursday, obviously, and it is Julie's time to be heading up to the um, um, Mayo Clinic to uh, have another one of her infusion treatments today. But uh, fortunately, her sister uh, is carrying her up there, so they are on the road this morning. If you could keep them in their prayers, I think her treatment starts at 930 this morning, um, and that is uh, where we uh, or she is today. But uh, because of that, or Part of the reason that's happening is because I have other things I have to get done. So a little bit of an abbreviated program today. Hopefully you don't mind too much. Um, and of course, it is Thursday, which means we will be having a session of the Connect meeting tonight. Uh, and as it is Thursday, we are ready to have uh, Brother Greg Dismuke back with us uh, this evening. Uh, he is one of our Thursday regulars, and uh, we are looking forward to having him on again or once again. Uh, in the evening with us, and that should go along, hopefully, uh, very well for us uh, tonight. Um, so during this first hour of the program, we are going to be doing what we normally do here on From the Deep End, and that is we are going to be uh, just talking about some biblical doctrines, biblical thoughts, uh, particularly if you all have any uh, uh, questions in your, uh, in your mind, uh, feel free to go ahead and drop those into the comment section. We will uh, try to address those as they, um, as they come along. Uh, and we will obviously always are appreciative of your input and your participation in this program. Uh, you do a lot to uh, direct the, um, the um, uh, well, direct, the, I'm still trying to come up with a way of saying that. I do it every morning about, I use the word direct the direction of the program. I really need to get a new catchphrase for that because I do it every single morning and it always seems bad. So I'll figure out something here eventually, <laughs> but uh, uh, you do uh, control the direction of the program. How about that? Uh, it's still two exactly synonymous words, but at least they sound different. Uh, but you all obviously have a, a, a set the tone of the program for the for the day as you all put your Bible questions in. 
Uh, we will try to uh, address them to the best of our ability. As always, I don't know is a, an answer we were actually, I guess this morning is, we don't know, is an answer we reserve to, to be used at any particular time that we would like to in the future. Uh, and so that may be one we give you. We will do our best, even if we can't give you a definitive answer to it, uh, we will do our best to put you down or sit you down on the right uh, path in terms of uh, where you should go in your Bible to find that answer if we um, if we possibly can. So having said all that, uh, do you have any other comments you want to make, make, Dad, before we get started this morning? Do you have anything on your mind? No, I, I think I made this comment about six weeks ago. I just love the quality of the questions that are asked. People are studying the Bible. You can just tell from the depth of the very questions they come up with they're not just casually trying to read through the Bible. They're studying the Bible. And that's a real compliment to you and to the audience and everything that this is a place where you can come and really study the Bible together and, and hopefully have enough respect for what it says to come away with some, some very firm convictions that this is, this sure looks like what God said about this matter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so we are uh, going to get started here. I uh, appreciate those thoughts, Dad. Uh, see the first comment coming in from Nelson, um, and uh, his question is: got some comments there. Uh, by the way, Nelson, uh, you mentioned I think it was yesterday morning about having some issues at getting logged on to our locals page, and um, you had said you were going to contact me about that. And if you did, I did not see it. I think that was you, Nelson. If it wasn't, I'm, I'm apologize for misidentifying the person, but I think it was you. And if you did, I did not see it. So. Um, I just, that popped in my brain as I saw your name pop up here this morning. So if you, um, um, if, if you did, uh, try it again and let, let me know where it's coming to. Uh, anyway, um, your question is some have used Luke six thirty eight to express the need to give more so one can get more. Uh, what is your exposition interpretation of this verse? Um, I'm going to pull up Luke 6.33. I think I know what passage we're talking about here based upon the question, but let me just uh, go ahead and get that uh, pulled up and do the screen share thing here um, so we can all see that together. Um, and here we go. All right, let me have to take Nelson's picture down so that we can see the question here together. Um, Luke 6... Um, 38 is kind of in the middle of a sentence. Let's just go ahead and start back here for um, 637. Uh, judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, uh, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Uh, give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, uh, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be uh, measured back to you. So that's the that's the full context of the of the verse in question. And as always on Thursday. Uh, Dad, I will um, defer to your uh, knowledge on these topics and say, what do you have? What do you think about it? What a classic illustration of the misuse of the Bible. You know, it's this is something that somebody who wants to say, well, if you'll give more, you'll get more. I'm sorry. <clears throat> this verse has nothing at all to do with that. I mean, you read the parallel over in Matthew chapter 7 where it says, judge not that you be not judged, and uh, uh, for with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. And and back in chapter 5, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Mm -hmm. And so this is a passage that is talking about an attitude 
that we have toward other individuals. And, uh, and he says to them, you know, do not judge one another. And, and the reason for that is because God is going to treat you the way you treat others. But if your life is filled with mercy, if you always give the other person the benefit of the doubt, that's the way God is going to give to you. And evidently that's the way other people will give to you. Good measure shall they, uh, they, they bring into your bosom, bring into your life. And so it's not a pass at all that has to do with if you give more, you will get more. I think it's just a classic illustration. Somebody reading through a Bible, oh man, that's a great verse right there. But every verse in the Bible has a context. And this context has to do with the matter of us being forgiving of others. Now, if we're characterized by having <clears throat> that spirit that is uh, willing to forgive others, then uh, we'll have that reputation and people will listen to us whenever we talk because they know that we're not judgmental, that, that we're that kind of individual who gives the benefit of the doubt until by their fruits, you shall know them until the fruits absolutely overwhelm. But I'm sorry, it has nothing to do with money. It has to do with giving mercy to others. And with what measure you give to others, you shall receive back from God and even from them is implied in this context. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the sort of the parallel passage to it over in Matthew seven says, you know, says essentially the, uh, the same thing in terms of um, the, the, the standard of judgment you just, you used against, against others will be used against you. Uh, and so that, that seems to confirm that. Um, but you know, if you, if you've talked to me for about three minutes worth of time, you know, one of my big things is make sure you leave a text in its, in its context, uh, particularly its, its historical context and, and all of that. Um, uh, I know that Jesus did a lot of time prepping for the coming of the kingdom, but he also did a lot of just commentary on Jewish law and, and so on. And, I, I think you're. I think you're right about this, Dad. I don't think this is a, a a passage talking about money or physical blessings. But if if you had said that sentence in the presence of a Jewish audience, with the with the nature of the covenant they had, with the promises of the covenant that they had, that they would have had you know a more perhaps a more tangible understanding of what it meant to find the mercies of God. The mercies of God, again, to, to use the language of Deuteronomy that's you know probably a little bit cliched at this point in terms of just discussing the promises of Israel, but it's true. You lived in houses you didn't build, you eat of vineyards you didn't, uh, you didn't plant, and so on. If you want to stay in the good mercies of God and not be condemned by God, the, 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 the antithesis of that to a Jew would be you're going to be blessed by God. And how is that how is that going to happen in your covenant? It's going to happen by God giving you the things that are part of your covenant, which is houses and lands and vineyards and the early and the latter rains and the removal of diseases and no poor among you and, and on down the line, all of the promises of their covenant. If you try to take Matt or Luke's uh, Luke 738 and bring it forward as a as a tangible material blessing of the gospel, you're, you're not just missing the point of the verse. 
uh, you're doing damage to the nature of the covenant. That Those are not the promises that we have. Uh, there is no promise of the gospel that the mercies of God mean that we're going to be blessed financially, be blessed, be blessed physically. In fact, the message of the gospel is that in most times, adhering to the gospel is going to cost you uh, benefits in this physical world. Uh, and, and so when you, when, when modern day preachers just come and grab that verse and bring it all the way forward in the 20, into 21st century America, yeah, you're going, you're going to do, um, you're going to do, um, um, you're going to do damage to the, to the situation. Well, that's so, so true, Jonathan. And, uh, we, we do the same thing and uh, it's easy for us to look at them and say, well, they ought not to do it this way. We do the same thing, but, uh, the tendency is, as we teach a Bible class, we have an agenda that we want to arrive at and have people to agree with us when we get to the to the end of that agenda. And so we start looking through the Bible. We use concordance. We use cross-references. And all of a sudden, there is a verse that is just perfect to state exactly what I'm trying to state. Mm-hmm. But the problem is... Teaching the Bible is to, is not designed to state what I am trying to state. And if I come to the Bible and I have an attitude, I'm going to find a verse that will justify me, whether it's in teaching and proving my point or in uh, some aspect of uh, spirituality or lack of spirituality in my life. And I find that very verse. I remember years ago that uh, there was a woman who was having uh was involved in immoral situation with the more than one man in the church. And uh, the elders went to her and they talked to her and she said, well, I'm just doing what the Bible said. The Bible says, love the brotherhood. And, <laughs> and that, that had justified her immoral actions. That's not Bible study. You know, that's looking into the Bible and I'm trying to find a verse that will justify Whatever it is, and I think that's illustration about the woman. I hope that's not true, but I've been in enough situations that it would not surprise me at all if, in defense of herself, she said, "I'm just doing what the Bible says." Uh, that does sound like an old preacher story to me, though. That sounds like. <laughs> yeah. Well, oh, you know, when, mercy. when this generation of us old guys die, uh, these stories <laughs> are gone, and they're, they're classic. And so you can you. You, it's all right for you to say, you don't have to give me credit for it, but I once knew an old preacher. And let me tell you what he said. <laughs> what he said. And, and uh, that, 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 that's the code ring you and I can use to, <laughs> to you know, and I, in, in relationship to this. Uh, well, y'all need to put some of those stories down in writing so that we can, but you need to put them down in writing, but don't sell them publicly so that uh, we, we, the younger preachers can have access to them without the general population public having access to them. So they'll still be fresh. Somehow we need to arrange that. I don't know how to do it. Uh, we'll say, well, we got another question here from, uh, from Travis about um, revelation chapter seven. Um, and in revelation chapter seven, he's talking about the, obviously we've got the, um, uh, the sealing of the people of God, the sealing of the, um, the tribes that are listed there of the 144,000. Um, and, um, he says in Revelation 7, I've noticed in the listing of the 12 tribes, uh, Dan is missing and Manasseh uh, is uh, added. Um, 
And so do you have any, you ask uh, you if you have any significance to the formulation of the um, of the tribes there in Revelation chapter seven, because he's right that it's not exactly the list. Um, you know, actually you have, um, what is, Dan is missing. Um, uh, Manasseh is there. Um, and, uh, and Ephraim, Le- Ephraim Levi is included, and that's, Levi's that's included. Where the tribes' problems come up. Yeah, because uh, <laughs> e- Ephraim was also missing, correct? Other than the twi- other than including Levi, and so in reality, whenever you talk about the twelve tribes, generally you're talking about the land possessions. Where, what's where when they got the promised land, the land was given to the tribes. And there were boundaries that marked off in great detail where each of the 12 tribes would be located. And so when you begin listing the 12 tribes, if you do it geographically, you've got the problem of Levi because Levi received no land per se. They were given 48 cities. Now look down near the end of that list and you have the tribe of Joseph. We never think about Joseph being a tribe, but when we talk about the 12 tribes and look at the division of the land, there is Manasseh and there is Joseph's other son, Ephraim. Mm -hmm. And so if you substitute Ephraim here for uh, the tribe of Joseph, you'll have the 12 tribes. But when you put Levi in, you've got 13 tribes. Now the question is, why is Dan less, uh, left out? And I can't remember exactly the, what the question is. Do you have any idea? Uh, <laughs> I have a lot of ideas, you know, but, uh, uh, but I, I, I do not know specifically. I do know this, that uh, there were two tribes that failed to um, be faithful to God. Simeon was, was one of those tribes when you look at the maps that show where the tribe of Simeon received their land. It's there. It's just a circle sometimes down just south of uh, Jerusalem, south down in the southern part of uh, of the Promised Land, because those boundaries are not boundary specific in the Bible. They could have been, but the Bible says Simeon failed to drive those nations out, and while they lived there in that land. They left in that land those other those Canaanite nations <clears throat> that were there, and so Simeon is uh, is difficult when you try to make the land possession. Now the tribe of Dan has some unusual reference because Dan was down in clo- in in the southern area when they received the land as it was divided by first by Moses before they got to the promised land and then actually by Joshua. Once they arrived in the promised land, the tribe of Dan's possession was not way up north. But all of a sudden, we have the expression in the Bible from Dan to Beersheba. Mm -hmm. And I believe it's the closing chapters of Judges. It's been a long time since I've been over to that passage. But uh, uh, the tribe of Dan had, because of immorality, been heavily diminished in number. And there was an individual who hired an individual to come up into that northern area. And evidently, many of the tribe of Dan went with him in that situation. Mm -hmm. So in the New Testament, you read from Dan to Beersheba, 
that's that's like saying no from Maine to Florida. It's from coast mm -hmm. to coast. And so they had those expressions. And the northernmost area, when you get to the New Testament period of time, was Dan was up there. Why is he up there? Well, it's because of the events that had happened, transpired in his life. And uh, and uh, they had they were diminished in size. And in the closing chapters of the book of Judges, uh, many of them are moved up into that northern area. Why they're left out in this listing, I'm not sure. But um, uh, uh, why would you not leave out uh, a tribe that had diminished in influence and include two other tribes, one of them called Joseph or, or Ephraim and Levites, as you're going to talk about these 12 tribes. The answer is I've got a lot of ideas, but I don't have any idea that I'll talk about out loud. <laughs> well, I, I don't particularly have anything, uh, any insight on that beyond that. It's just, it's just one of those things, you know, you talk about it often, dad, when we're here on together, uh, on here together, rather, um, you know, if God doesn't tell us, there's, you know, that we probably don't need to know it. Um, and, you know, maybe there is some significance to it, but, um, like I said, I don't know what it is. Um, you know, you pointed out some good things about the history of the tribe of Dan, and that's, that's as reasonable as any other answer that I could give you. Um, you know, obviously you do have Joseph included, as you mentioned, um, and Ephraim, uh, is such a prominent tribe in the old Testament. There are sometimes... Yes. Yes. Occasionally, the whole nation of Israel is referred to as Ephraim. Um, I think um, Asaph does that in Psalm 78. I think it's right there. At the, Psalm 78 is a long psalm. It's got like 65, 70 verses in it. And it's right there, I believe, at the end uh, of that psalm. He refers to uh, the nation of Israel as the tribe of Ephraim because it was the the uh, yes. military power. It was, the, the in, in a lot of ways, the leading tribe of uh, particularly of those Northern tribes. Um, and I'm actually so, more astounded that Joseph is, is the word used to refer to Ephraim mm -hmm. in this than that Dan is left out. I mean, uh, consistently in the old Testament, physically one of the largest tribes were, were the Manasseh and uh, Ephraim. Remember Manasseh was so large that when they got to the promised land, they asked permission that they might stay at least part of the tribe of Manasseh might stay on the East Bank where they just first mm -hmm. conquered the land, even while Moses was alive. And half of that tribe did. And the other tribe went over to the other side. And if you look at square uh, square footage, you look at the acreage each of them possessed. Uh, Manasseh was massively huge geographically. And Ephraim, when you look at the number of people in the tribes, um, yeah. e Ephraim was, is another, it, well, it becomes the name of the Northern Kingdom. Oops, I messed that up a little bit. Sorry, I was trying to put stuff in a better shot place and I overlapped my screen share there for just a second. Um, but yeah, um, so uh, yeah, th that's probably where we are on that. Uh, Travis, I thank you for the question. Um, and as of yet, I am not seeing any other uh, particular questions over in the uh, in the comment section that we have not uh, not yet addressed. So if you have anything you'd like to bring up, you are more than welcome to do so at this time. Uh, for those who joined, though, I do need to mention that we are going to be stopping here at the top of the hour. Uh, just while I've got this moment, we can do this um, because I've got a I've got a doctor's appointment I've got to get to this morning. And so I don't have time to hang around and do the second hour of the program today. Uh, so um, uh, we will be uh, shutting things down here um, at the um, 
at the top of the hour. Um, um, let's turn our t- attention back while we're waiting for something else to come in here, Dan. Let's turn our attention back to some things we were talking about yesterday morning. Um, um, well, hold on. We got a question that just came in there. How about that? Um, kind of right on what, what we were just talking about there, Dad, is about uh, um, Mercy. Ask, um, or Mercy, I guess how, that, how we'd pronounce that. Um, when you talk about Manasseh, uh, obviously you just referred to it as the half-tribe of Manasseh. Um, why, why do people talk about that? I mean, I think you just hinted at it just with the, the division of the land, um, and, and so on, but, uh, uh, maybe explain that a little more fully as we, um, as, uh, as this question indicates. Well, I remember growing up in West Huntsville and some of the learned scholars that were there and they arrived at the fact that Manasseh was only half a tribe. Well, now, you want to define what a half a tribe looks like. And uh, and then they said, well, if they're, they're the half a tribe, then the other half must be Ephraim. And so to get to 12 tribes, you know, Manasseh is only half a tribe and Ephraim is only half a tribe. Now, contextually, that is not what is discussed at all. I mean, the Bible in the book of Numbers gives the precise number of people that were in the tribe of Manasseh. Mm-hmm. We, you, you could go and look at that census and you would know every person that was a part of the tribe of Manasseh. But when they, as they're entering the promised land, God had first intended for them all to be over on the west side of the Jordan River. In your mind, or look at a Bible map, and see the Jordan River, and that was going mm-hmm. to be the eastern boundaries. But when they conquered all of that land that was over there, um, you know, where where King Og was and, uh, and Bashan and all of those other individuals that were there, when they conquered that land, there were those members of the tribe of Manasseh that says, we want to live on this side of the Jordan River. Well, how large was that group? Well, it was one half of the tribe of Manasseh. There were others in that tribe who did not go along with that. And so they were allowed to go over and live on the other side. If you look at those Bible maps on the back of your Bible, you'll see there are two different lands. Ephraim's on both both the east bank and the west bank of the Jordan River on both sides. And so it has to do with the fact that not every one of them wanted to stay over there on that east side. They wanted to go over to to the land that God had described, that had been described as a land flowing with milk and honey. And so those that were uh, decided to stay, they still had to send their men to go over across the Jordan River and help conquer the land. I think it was some seven years that were involved in the conquering of the land. And so uh, that was a, you think about an individual being in uh, on a military service for, you know, a year in Afghanistan or something like this. They were on a seven year battle to be part of conquering that land over there on the West Bank. But it's only referred to as a half tribe in relationship to the possession of the land. That's the way it is used. It is not 
and I love my brethren at West Huntsville and how, how <laughs> deep, I mean, they would study this and you'd be amazed. I could call some of those brethren by name and there are still a few people who are alive who knew their personalities. And uh, uh, what was it that Ansel said about Jenkins's? The family oh, motto. <laughs> I think the family motto is uh, not always right, but never in doubt. Never in doubt. That's about right. <laughs> you get, oh. get my dad, and you get Uncle Willie, and you get Uncle Flavel, and then you get all of their children who are Jenkinses. Not always right, but every one of them has got an opinion, and so they might spend two Wednesday nights discussing this half tribe. And when they finished, they had not changed the mind of anyone. There was still those <laughs> oh no, Ephraim's only a half tribe, and therefore uh, uh, Manasseh's only a half tribe. Well, where's the other half? The other half is Ephraim. Where's your evidence of it? Does not exist. And so men just decided, well, here's a half tribe, here's another half tribe, because there were 12 tribes. Well, it depends on how you look at it. And, uh, and I, I'm glad to bring up that map. You, you I was I, I knew I had one somewhere that this this expensive Bible program I had. I knew I had to have a map of the uh, of the twelve tribes. So I was over there looking for one. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I mean that's that's the idea is that you have uh, uh, you know over here on the east side of the Jordan River you have portions of Manasseh that settled over there, uh, and then they have their their territory given to them in the west side of the Jordan river. So it's the same tribe. Uh, it's not half in the sense that, you know, it was half the people or half the people were excluded or something of that nature. It's that, um, uh, certain members of the tribe decided to stay and take their claim of the promised land over on the East side uh, of the Jordan river. So it's a geographical statement, not a, uh, uh, not an inheritance statement, not a population statement or anything like that. So, um, uh, that that's, that's where it comes from. Um, so no, it, it's not, it's not technically a half tribe. It's just that there's, there is the division of the land. And, and th that point though, about, um, you know, jo Joseph receiving, uh, a double inheritance based upon the blessings of Jacob and so on. So you have Manasseh and Ephraim. Uh, so 12 sons becomes 13. And so in order to get that number back down, you have to understand that the, um, uh, as Levi only received 48 cities and not, not a specific land inheritance. You only have 12 tribes that have, um, uh, specific land inheritances. And this map does, uh, was talking about what you were, you were saying earlier, dad. Uh, I remember as a kid, the, the one, the first Bibles you ever gave me had a map very similar to this, trying to describe the land of Simeon and just look how it's consumed inside of the region that was given to Judah. Um, and even in this map, you can see how kind of fuzzy the, the borders of the, um, of the, uh, let me keep blowing that up if I can, uh, the borders of that, the region of Simeon are somewhat nebulous. They're, they're not, they're not, they're fuzzy because yes. as you were talking about, it's not the, uh, it's not a clear, um, a division there of the land that was given to them. So that, that would get back to that other idea. And, and just in passing, if we've got time, if you'll pull up Genesis, uh, I think it's 49. It may be 50 I'm, where Ephraim I, blesses all of his sons. And he talks I, specifically in that blessing about uh, Ephraim and Manasseh. And you'll have to find the verse, maybe even read the verse. The, the lighting that I've got on my screen here is not making it possible. <laughs> a little harsh on uh, you. Uh, uh, 
for me to see it uh, in, in in relationship to it. That helped a little bit. Okay. <laughs> And, uh, apparently, it's, uh, apparently at some point I took a note in that Bible and reach and, and, and uh, changed the type, the font, the font on that particular portion. Um, but um, uh, there's where he talks about it's Joseph. It may be, it may be in the next chapter when he, when it he might talks be. about Levi and uh, uh, and Simeon that they were as unstable as well. Water. No, uh, um, Simeon's here in um, in in the beginning of forty nine, uh, starting in verse number five. Um, if that's what the ver- if that's the verse you're looking for, um, Simeon yes. and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Remember the situation with Dinah uh, and the defiling of their sister earlier in the in the book of Genesis. Um, and the end of verse seven says about them: "I will divide them in Jacob, and I will scatter them uh, in Israel." Isn't that uh, amazing? And- I mean, he scattered the Levites because he gives them forty-eight cities. Mm-hmm. But here's Simeon. And if you don't read this carefully, you and you just all of a sudden you look over there, and it depends on what map you look at, how big that little green circle is down at the bottom that Simon has. Nobody knows why. Because when you get over there and read about the division of the land, the Bible emphatically said Simeon did not drive those those nations out. They moved down into that land and they just uh, became friends with them and everything. They failed to do what God said, and therefore they never they never had any land. But I just think it is interesting here. I love the, the statement in the latter part of verse six, and their willing and their willfulness, they hamstrung oxen. Uh, <laughs> God is concerned about all of His creation, and I don't know where the hamstring is in an oxen. I guess I could figure it out given enough time on Google. But what they do, they they mutilated God's animals. And God said, okay, Simeon and Levi, you are unstable in everything and your brothers and you're violent and uh, my, let not my soul come into their counsel oh my, or my glory be joined to their company. They kill men. And then he said, and they hamstrung knocks. <laughs> that just <laughs> astounds me when I read that slowly enough to think about how we, how animals are abused and, uh, in, a, in our day, and they're, they're just yeah, counted. So, so uh, 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 Jacob was the founding uh, president of uh, PETA. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> well, <laughs> that, 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 is, that is amazing in relationship to that. But I just think God said, well, they did the hamstrung an ox. I just, <laughs> when I read that and I thought about that, then I thought about how God loves even the sparrows. And not one sparrow falls to this earth without your father. Mm-hmm. That shows the magnitude of the. And here were these twelve sons, and and uh, they're not they're not a mighty nation. When God says this about them, they're headed down into the land of Egypt. They've just arrived in the land of Egypt. There are about seventy of them down there in the land of Egypt. And so He calls them again. And he said, "Hey, uh, uh, Simeon and Levi, you remember what you did to that oxen?" Here's the payment that you get for it. Hmm. You, you'll be scattered among the tribes. You will not have much. And, and I can't even remember when you had that chart of where Dan was located. But I do know that in, in the book of Judges, uh, I do know that that um, uh, that the tribe of Dan, at least many of them, moved very, very far north. And so sometimes you'll see land given to Dan in those maps located in both places. 
and uh, so I'm, I, I yeah, just, I don't think this 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 map has the uh, the actual border of Dan as it was given before they uh, uh, fled from that land and moved up. I don't think it has them uh, listed on the uh, up here on the north. The um, but yeah, up here, some maps up, put, they'll, they'll be a little circle up there and put the tribe of Dan up there. Yeah, this uh, from the way it was in New Testament times. Probably too small for y'all to see it, but there's a little city up here by the name of Laish or Laish. Uh, that that would be about where Dan, when they actually moved up, that would be the area wherein they settled, uh, just uh, uh, very very far up in the north. And sometimes you'll see a map that actually puts them up there as well. Um, but anyway, uh, good question there, Mercy. Hopefully we answered that for you. I got a couple other things here on the table that have popped in, so let's go ahead and do it. Uh, Ronald Clark uh, is asking, "How was communion uh, done by the first century church?" Um, and I assume by communion he was referring here to the Lord's Supper, as opposed to just fellowship in general. Um, and you know, the short answer would be according to the the, the pattern that was given to us in Matthew twenty six, First Corinthians chapter eleven. Um, but do you have any insight from um, the biblical text about, um, uh, you know, because we do ours pretty quickly. I mean, we do ours with the, you know, a, a pinch of the, uh, the unleavened bread or these days we're still using the single serving communion cups that became uh, popular during the um, uh, rise of COVID. We're still using them. So you got that little tiny wafer that's inside of those. But uh, um, I hear a lot of people talk about how the way the first century church did it. And that maybe the the thought is that it was a a more substantial ceremony, a larger meal maybe was eaten together that took more time and and so on. I've heard that that put forth a lot of times. Um, do you have any insight on that, Dad? About uh, um, whether whether, that whether that was at? a common meal or not is uh, is is debatable. I mean, uh, they had so abused the Lord's Supper in Corinth that they are rebuked because they had changed the Lord's Supper, and it had become a common meal. And so Paul says, shall I praise you in this? In this, I do not praise you, for this is what I received of the Lord. Then Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, trying to correct the abuse that had come about in Corinth, goes back to where it all started. And that's the way you eat the Lord's Supper. Now then, how long do you devote to this inside the service? Well, I love the emphasis. Acts chapter 20, verse 7, and 1 Corinthians what, 11, verse 33 and 34, so they came together to eat. I love the fact that the Bible does not say they came together to hear Paul preach. Had we had the apostle Paul, who was at Troas, and had we been at that service, we would have invited absolutely everybody and every friend that we knew mm -hmm. on the first day of the week to come and hear Paul preach. And that's not what it was all about. And in, in our services, uh, particularly in America, the emphasis is on the preacher. The emphasis is on the sermon. And, and it needs to be, have a biblical emphasis that we have come together to break bread. Now then, in breaking bread, do this remembering me. We sometimes limit. We think we think about. Uh, we limit ourselves to remembering the cross. We remember his death, 
Mm-hmm. But whenever you remember some departed loved ones, you don't just remember, you can focus in on something that was really important and some, some particular events, but you remember them. And so sometimes in relationship to the Lord's Supper, while I spend time talking, thinking about his death and everything, I just think about the very nature of Jesus and the way he in, interacted with other people and everything, because that's what he was. He, you know, the, the woman taken in adultery and the Samaritan woman and those individuals that he interacted with. We need to remember him for that's deity. And as I think of those things, that's deity who died for me. I am because of my background and because of my culture. I am really gravely concerned about the minimizing of coming together to break bread. I was at a church just a few weeks ago, and I, I, I want to say I didn't t- did not time how long it took, but we took of the bread, and who's looking at their watch? Forty-eight seconds later, they had had another prayer, and we took of the fruit of the vine, and thirty-five seconds after that, communion was over. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, it's my background. It is my, you know, the 60 years, 70, 80, eight, nearly 80 years that I've been in the church that I have memory of. And we, the, it was always a time of meditation and the passing of the trays and everything gave individuals the ability to meditate on that, except for those who sit at the back. I don't know if you, if you start yep. at the front and, yep. and carry the trays all the way to the back. The people who sit on the back pew, they have about 35 seconds before the next prayer is offered (laughs) for the fruit of the vine. And so, so, but I always sat on the front. So you understand that? Yeah. Well, you know, clearly, clearly the more spiritual people sit on the front pew. (laughs) (laughs) Except for Uticus, okay? Except for Uticus. (laughs) Well, you know, um, but I, I have noticed that as well. Uh, I don't. Th- I don't know it's intentional. But since we have switched to doing the single serving communion cups, instead of the instead of there being the the process of passing the trays and serving everybody in, in the auditorium together, um, we say the prayer and everybody opens up that top little cellophane thing, which is annoying of itself with all the crinkling going off. But everybody does the wafer all together, um, and then it's done. And, you know, 15 seconds later, the, the way that we do it is since everybody has the cup already given to them when they come in the building, uh, whoever's making the comments presiding over the, the, the communion does that. Everybody opens their cup, partakes of the wafer together. And sometimes, depending on who's the, the, the men, the men that are, you know, passing the trays around just comes right down front almost immediately afterwards, says a quick prayer, and then everybody opens their cup you know, partakes of the fruit of the vine. And then the only passing of the tray there is, is then those men who who came down front now walk to the back and pick up all the empty cups. So it's the whole thing is over. Like I said, and it it might not take 90 seconds, two minutes tops and the whole thing is over. And that's a direct consequence of everybody already having the, the bread and the cup in their hands when you start having the Lord's supper. And I don't know that we have done a very good job in, in pausing to let that uh, to let that time uh, sit for a little minute and and have and let have people people have the time to do something in remembrance of, of Jesus. I 
I'm not saying what we're doing is wrong, but it, it is certainly uh, switching the manner in which we deliver the, 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 the elements of the Lord's Supper to the congregation, switching the way that we've done it, that we do it, has had perhaps an unintended con- consequence on the, um, on the timing of our services. And I don't know that it's for the better. And that's exactly where I am. I do not sometimes feel like I came together to break bread when breaking bread lasts, you know, 90 seconds or something like that. Can I tell you the first experience I ever had was it was at Avondale when when we had the cups. You know, we had the cups that had the, uh, uh, the top on it and you pull mm-hmm. the top off and then there was yep. a there was a bread and there was a second top right underneath. Yep, that's that, prob- the, probably the same cups we're using. Yep. And so they, they prayed and I reached down to pull the top off and I could not, I could not get the top off of that <laughs> bread. And so I thought, what on earth am I going to do? And I looked over and Judy was taking the bread toward her mouth. And I, said, <laughs> I leaned over and said, give me half of that. <laughs> and so, uh, I was not focused on the cross of Jesus <laughs> on that moment. Huh? <laughs> and, and I think sometimes with this, it's difficult sometimes to pull those tops up. And that, now, whenever, if they have a song ahead of time, I pull up half of both mm-hmm. tops. So I don't have that problem again and everything, but it was just a, it, it, it's a different way. I think the church is going to be weaker because of this. The very design of the Lord's Supper in giving what we call the Christian graces, you know, uh, add your faith, virtue, and knowledge, mm-hmm. and temperance, and all of those other great attributes that are there. He that he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and he was has forgotten the price of his redemption. Mm-hmm. Whenever I have thirty seconds. 45 seconds to eat the bread and to drink the cup. I've got two minutes of my life. I don't, that doesn't give me much time to do this in remembrance of him. And I think the church is going to be weaker because of that, because the very reason for the Lord's Supper and the very reason we have it weekly, the very same reason they had the Sabbath weekly. Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy because you did not have rest in Egypt and God's given you a day. And on that day, you remember the fact that you did not have rest. The first day of the week, they came together to break bread and to remember Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And I think we're robbing ourselves. And I think the, uh, uh, Peter says, and if you lack these things, it's because you haven't been thinking enough about the cross. I believe the church will be weaker because of it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, there's a, this is kind of getting off the topic here, uh, but, you know, some of this is just tied to um, um, our modern sensitivity that a worship period is supposed to be an hour. Um, And we don't, you know, some congregations are very particular about, hey, we need to get out of here. You know, if we start at 10, we need to be done at 11, not 11, 10, not 11, 15. Um, and we, we have become very, um, um, uh, precise sometimes in the timing of our services. And that doesn't leave time 
You know, every moment you spend singing is one less moment you have for the Lord's Supper. Every moment you have for the Lord's Supper is one less moment for prayer, is one less moment for preaching. Um, and I, I know I, I, as a preacher, I have felt that, you know, that that urgency myself trying to be respectful of people's expectations of time. Um, there was one not not too terribly long ago. Uh, we've got this one gentleman at Rockledge. I'm not going to call out his name by any means. But let's just say sometimes when he presides over the Lord's Supper, he can turn that into his own little sermon. And by little sermon, I mean 15 or 20 minutes of yes. him talking, which is fine. I mean, if we were if we were just taking our time and had a two-hour worship, no problem at all. But he took 20 minutes of time. And I, I remember uh, when I stood up to preach that Sunday morning, it was about 1042. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> I got I got 18 minutes left until the top of the hour. And and that the only way we have the only reason we have that pressure is because we have we have defined worship as a as a worship hour. Uh and I don't know that we do ourselves any favors. Um, you know, and, and you know, in a world where it's tough to get people to come back on Sunday nights, I have this is just me talking off the top of my head here, but I have often wondered if we wouldn't be better served. To, to maybe not have the expectation of coming back on Sunday night and simply taking more time on Sunday morning. Since you already have the people there, why not get the most out of that service when you have the most people there and then not expect people to come back at a second time or something of that nature? Just, you know, maybe kind of break this paradigm maybe of doing things in an hour, maybe come up with a different way of doing the same thing, but getting more, more significance and, and more, uh, 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 meaning out of it by actually having the ability to stop and to linger over things the way that we ought to, instead of trying to do everything by the clock, the way that we, that we have been pressured to do it. Well, I think we've pressured ourselves to do it that way, but just, just, just some thoughts off the top of my head like that. I, I don't know that we are, I don't know that we are maximizing the opportunities that we have to, uh, to do it. And at least for me personally, I'd be open to thinking about some other ways of trying to, uh, to restore some of that um, uh, deliberation uh, and some of that, um, uh, well, you used the word meditation earlier. Try to find a way of restoring that in a way that is uh, palatable, palatable to people and 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 works for people. Uh, so anyway, just thoughts I had off the top of my head. You have any th thoughts on that? Well, one other thing, and that is an experience I've had within the last year. It was Memorial Day, and they were talking about those who had given their lives and everything, and the, uh, it was an unusual service. Uh, uh, members at that church apologized to me afterwards, saying this is not the way it always is. But the sermon was about six individuals in movies who had given their lives for other people in that movie. Uh, one was where Spock gave his life for Captain Kirk. And the other four or five movies I didn't know, but and they used the screen and they put those movies up there. And uh, that's not really why I was there. But the talk at the communion was uh, he had found something on Google and he spent the time reading about an individual who had hidden the, the, the Jews from the Germans and it cost him his life. And I thought about what about the cross of Jesus? Mm. What about those characters in the Bible, you know? And why do you have to go to Dr. Spock dying in a fictitious fantasy world mm -hmm. 
to try to build spirituality in me. Well, I already know the story of the cross, but I may not know about all these other movies. And so this is exciting. And as I said and listened, I thought, this is so fleshly. Mm -hmm. It's so non-spiritual. Now, one other thing that is in New Zealand, we have many places, the comments at the Lord's Supper were long, but mm -hmm. it, down at the congregation in Nelson, New Zealand, had a brother to come in to visit. They asked him to preside at the table, and he spoke for an hour and a half at the table. <laughs> uh, to my knowledge, they never asked him again. Okay. <laughs> so That's one way to get out of it. <laughs> oh, mercy. Uh, uh, see, and, and, and it's that experience that I've got to be careful that I don't bind my culture from the mm -hmm. 50s and 60s and 70s to that being the way I must partake of the Lord's Supper. You know, I don't believe I've partaken of it in an unscriptural way. I just think there's a better way to remember him. If you mm -hmm. give me more time, maybe we ought to sing more about the death of Christ before we, before we come to the matter of the, of the Lord's Supper itself. Mm -hmm. Maybe there ought to be that time where in our assembly, we come together and, and a part of our singing is designed to get us back to the cross. I think there's a way to address it, but uh, uh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not greatly comfortable. In fact, sometimes I really am concerned about the impact it's going to have on the church. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I uh, still got some good comments going on over there. I don't know. We've got, we got about three minutes here to the top of the hour. I don't know how many of those we've got opportunity to, uh, uh, to get back into, but I um, uh, appreciate everybody's comments. Let me just um, uh, mention again, as we're getting close to the top of the hour here, uh, in case anybody missed it earlier, I, I do have a doctor's appointment I need to get to. So there will be no second hour of the, uh, of the, from the deep end today. So uh, here in a couple of minutes, we will be signing off for the day. Uh, and uh, we will have Greg Dismuke back here with us this evening for the connect meeting at seven o'clock. Uh, Dad, do you have any final thoughts as we start to wrap this up for the morning? Anything you want to, anything else you want to comment well, on? Anything we've talked about today or anything else on your mind? With this new format, the new program that you're using, I've now been able to see the comments as they come up. And I appreciate all the, the depth of spirituality in the comments that are, that are coming on the screen. Yeah. This is a family of people really want to study the Bible together and what an avenue you are providing to enable the church to do the very thing that will cause all of us to be stronger spiritually. Yeah. Um, yeah. A uh, couple, couple points real quick about that. Since you mentioned it, dad, um, I used it earlier in the program. Saw one comment from Travis about the, um, about the comments. It does take up some screen space. And when I have the Bible program up, it does, it does make it uh, tougher to, for everybody to see, but uh, this format does, or this program does have the ability for me to, put a chat overlay up there on the screen so that you can see all the comments coming in. And if you're on Facebook, it will allow you to see the YouTube comments. If you're on YouTube, it will allow you to see the Facebook comments. Um, and so that is an option on this platform. So if you can give me some feedback on whether you like that or not, I, I, I would appreciate it. Um, that's just one of the things, one of the reasons I'm trying this out. Uh, there is another feature of this, uh, they call it pairs, which means nothing to you. Um, but um, instead of just sharing the program, uh, the, the stream, uh, if you have a personal Facebook page or a, um, 
a church has a fa personal Facebook page, uh, I can send you a link that will allow you not just to share it into your um, uh, page, but actually allow you to embed it up to 15 instances. You can actually embed the stream into your uh, social media pages that will allow it. Um, it does take a little bit of setup. So I need, if, if it's something, I'd, something I'd like to try, but I need two or three volunteers that have at least a passing technical ability while, while, while I figure out how this thing works and see if it's something we want to do. So if you halfway know your way around a keyboard uh, and it's, a, it's a basically an email link I'll send you and there's a couple of, you know, you've got to connect your Facebook account or whatever it is to, to the stream. It's not hard, but it's, I really don't want to have to walk people through it step by step 15 times. I, I'm not, not, I really don't want to do that. I, I need some people that might be, I can send them the link and maybe they could figure it out maybe without me. That would be lovely, <laughs> particularly for this first go around. Uh, but um, uh, if you, uh, if you have um, any interest in that, just uh, send me a private message or something. Oh, and Nelson, I saw your question earlier about the email address to contact me. Uh, best one is just the digital Bible study email that is contact at digitalbiblestudy.org or send me a private message on Facebook. E either of those are probably the best ways to get a hold of me. Um, those are the two that I check the most often. So either of those will work. Okay. Um, so anyway, uh, that's all I have that good to be with you again. Thank you for, uh, coming Great on while you're on the road uh apparently you're at a pretty decent hotel because your wi-fi did fine the whole time you were on sometimes those hotel wi-fis uh well, are not I was, great I was, 20, I was 20 meg upload today and i thought that'll work 20 meg up at a hotel that's outstanding that that's that's pretty good right there uh anyway thank y'all for tuning in by the way one of the biggest crowds we have had in my memory uh here on the, this particular program uh for uh we had uh peak connections right at 60 which for an 8 a.m. Bible stream, uh, I think is outstanding. So um, thank you all for tuning in and being a part of this. Uh, as I said, don't forget just one more time because sometimes people are not always listening all the time because I'm guilty of that myself. Uh, when I go off here in just a moment, we're done for the day. We will not be coming back for the second hour because I have some other commitments this morning, but I will be back with you here tonight uh, for Connect. So having said all that, I will say goodbye to my dad. Uh, safe travels. Hope your gospel meeting goes well. And to the rest of you all, uh, it is um, my, my prayer that you will go out and make your day a great one for God. Have a good day, everybody.